We want to start this episode by acknowledging the Gadigal and the Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this very podcast. We also pay our deep respect to Elders past, present and future, always was, always will be. This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. Hey, what's up? Guess what? Where? Uh, what we have on our heads? You can't. Can you guess? It's new headphones. It's brand new headphones. There's no black plastic in these ears anymore, just flaking no. away into no. my eardrums. For the next two weeks we are going to be like, what is that? Where did that come from? Why is there black plastic coming <laughs> out of my ears? <laughs> um, yeah, we bought some new headphones for ourselves thanks to our fucking amazing patrons. Yeah, um, you bought them. And also thanks to our friends at Audio Technica, because they you. hooked us up with a little discount. This is not a sponsorship situation, so I just wanted it to sort of sound like it might be when I first said it. <laughs> <laughs> you were just dipping your toe in. It's just that like I know someone who works there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if he knows I have a podcast. Whatever. Who cares? I'm going to tell him about this episode. Good. Maybe I'll even tag him in an Instagram post and he'll be like, oh. Shout that's out. That's what it's for. Maybe we'll listen to it and he'll hear this whole bit mm-hmm. and he'll be like, That's me. That's me. She's talking about me. I'm famous. Okay. Welcome to our episode. We are. We're doing some rock stars. We- Hello, Cleveland. <laughs> 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 I was very concerned about this episode because I was like, it might be a little dull because these two are going to be the biggest out and proud cunts of all time. <laughs> Um, and let's just say I was wrong and I was right, at least about my my man. Yeah. <laughs> my man. My man. Um, I'm going to go first. Okay. Uh, Lead the way, Jonesy. So William Bruce Rose Jr. Interesting. Was born uh, February 6, 1962 mm-hmm. in Lafayette, Indiana to his 16-year-old high school student mother, Sharon, and his 20-year-old gross father, William Bruce Rose. My dad's middle names too. They've also, he gave his son the exact same name. Yeah, yeah. Narcissistic. Um, And also really confusing. Mm. Like what if he, what if the dad was like a Billy and then he wanted to be a Billy, but he couldn't be a Billy because then, like... My godfather's name, his uncle Lee, but he's William. Yeah. And his son is also William, but he's Ben. He's known as Ben. I think it's their middle names, but it's just like... That's so dumb. Call him Lee and Sorry, Ben. <laughs> yeah, just call your kid Ben if you want to call him Ben. Yeah, shout out, Ben. Shout out to Ben. It's a great name, great guy, uh, I think. Your one. <laughs> yeah, my one is yeah. definitely... Awesome. Anyway, William Bruce Rose Sr. was a local delinquent, a real Classic. bad boy, uh, when he knocked up young Sharon. And I just realised I didn't tell you who this is. 
This is not the world's longest Jeopardy clue. (laughs) (laughs) Who is Axel Rose? Oh. Uh, Okay, so his father and mother separated. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The father and the mother separated when Axel was only two. Um, And this next part is pretty fucked up. Okay. Uh, After they broke up, Senior abducted baby Junior and, according to Axel, molested him. Oh. Before Sharon came back, Sharon found them, something else horrible happened and Senior disappeared. For good? For a very long time, yeah. Okay. Uh, Axel yeah, said about the abduction, quote, I remember a needle, I remember getting a shot and I remember getting sexually abused by this man and I remember something horrible happening to my mother when she came to get me. I, now, he was two. Yeah. He's a baby. Yeah. And when did he, do you, like when did he kind of. So this all came out like. Many, many, many years later when he did this thing called regression therapy, I think. Right. So pretty fucked up. I don't know, a lot of people have memories like that come back to them a lot later from when they were very young. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. In our next episode I'm going to... Oh... Well, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm just going to talk about like the time, you know, sometimes because, I mean, that's different because it's a child, but just like the time to come to terms with that kind yeah, of trauma yeah, sure. or like multiple ty- types, types of trauma. Like it takes it takes a lot of time, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, and that's why the statute of limitations is fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. Right, anyway. It's honestly the thing that pisses me off it most really about the entire world. Like for fuck off. The worst thing you can do to someone. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's so not on the side of the person. No. Why who is the has... victim the one who has to yes. fucking do anything? Yeah. Like within it... a certain period of time. It's just absolutely disgusting and it makes me want to kill people. Yeah, it makes me want to light fires. Ugh. Go on. Okay, back to the story. So Sharon soon remarried a guy named Stephen Bailey um, and they changed Axel's last name from Rose to Bailey. Uh, And she told him that Stephen was his biological father. Interesting. He also had a sister with the same secret cunt-faced dad um, and then a half-brother whose real dad was Stephen. Um, The household was very religious and they all went off to Pentecostal church sometimes eight times a week. There's only seven days in a week. Yeah. That's a bit much. Too many times a it's week. Too many times. Axel was made to teach Sunday school. He also sung in the choir there from when he was five. Um, and him and his sibos performed at services under the infinitely catchy name the Bailey Trio. Love it. <laughs> um, but look, he also later said that Stephen was physically abusive to him and sexually abusive to his sister. Oh, God. It doesn't sound like he had a very good time of it at all. It's fucking awful. Uh, he said, quote, 
We'd have televisions one week, then my stepdad would throw them out because they were satanic. I wasn't allowed to listen to music. Women were evil. Everything was fucking evil. I mean, women are evil. There he's right. Yeah, I mean, you got that one, Stephen. Yes, we'll give you that. Well, one point to Stephen. (laughs) Zero to the ladies. (laughs) The evil women. Little Axel before he was Axel. Um, He started a mate with Jeff. Where he what? I'll just start that sentence again. He started, he started a mate. mate. <laughs> he didn't start that. He started a band with his mate, mm. Jeff Isbell, who was later known as Izzy Stradlin, who was in the band Guns N' Roses, if you didn't know. Cool. Uh, and he was also good friends with a fellow called Shannon Hoon, who later fronted Blind Melon. Sick. And wrote me and Ben's... Song. It's our song. Oh. You know that song? Do I know that song? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Why do I always sing the guitar line when I could just sing the words? I don't know, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, he died horribly at the very early age of probably 27. Oh, yeah. Really sad Uh, and and irrelevant to this story. I just... Thought I'd say it because I thought it was interesting. God. Uh, then when he was 17, he's going through his parents' insurance papers, as you do. When he was 17? Yep. Okay. I don't know. What, he was just going through all this shit, I guess. Um, and he found out about his birth father. Oh. And then he started going by the name W. Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is weird because he also didn't want anything to do with his father, but he yeah also was like... It's a cooler name. <laughs> that is my name, sort of. It's I don't a bit know. Of, probably like a bit of an identity crisis. What can I just say? When I was breaking up with my ex, I was going through all of our um, like paperwork. We had it in like binders kind of thing and like separating everything out. And then I saw something that was really weird and it looked like it was like another person's name and I was like, do you have a kid? And he was like... <laughs> Yeah, and I was, but he doesn't. He was just being a dick to me. But I, I went into this mad like, oh my god, I've been with you for six years and you have a child. Anyway, good job, Joe. That was funny. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> nice one, bruv. Uh, okay, so as you would expect, he took the news about his father incredibly badly. Uh, became a complete. Maniac over the next three years. Um, he was arrested more than 20 times. Wow. Um, charges were like public intoxication, battery, mm. fun stuff. Uh, a psychiatrist diagnosed him with psychosis and he said, quote, I went to a clinic thinking it would help my moods. The only thing I did was take one 500 question test, you know, filling in the little black dots. All of a sudden I'm diagnosed manic depressive. Let's put Axel on medication. Well, the medication doesn't help me deal with stress. The only thing it does is keep people off my back because they figure I'm on medication. Honestly, I I, I hate those fucking tests. It's ridiculous. They still do them. It's crazy to me. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand how that's... 
a, a, a still a relevant way. I don't know how. I don't have an answer. No. We know. I have no skills. But, like, I don't have an answer, but it just seems like you could completely curate that whole thing to work in whatever way you want. Yeah. Which I have done when I was younger, you know, like I've definitely. Totally. Manipulated that situation, which is very easy. Also, you just sometimes fill it out. the answers change. None of which apply to you. Change from day to day. Exactly. It's not cool. No, I don't like don't, it. I just. Ugh. <sighs> uh, at some point, he was jailed for three months on charges of battery, criminal trespass, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and mischief, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Lafayette Popo threatened to have him charged with being a habitual criminal, which I had never heard of being a thing. But no. apparently it carries a life sentence. Fuck. Like if you get I guess it's like you get arrested for little things enough times, they're like, that's enough. You are not okay. You have to go to jail forever. That is nutso. Yeah. Um, and this really freaked him out. So he packed up and he moved to Los Angeles in December 1982. Well, yeah, if you want to steady your life and just kind of get <laughs> centred and calm, you'll move to L.A. Yeah. Everyone in, does it. In 1982, it's yeah. like the place to be. A retreat, if you will. Yes, just relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get out of the hustle and bustle of where was he, Indiana or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he started a band called Axel. Spelt A-X-L. And he was going on and on and on to every single person that he met about how great his band was, that people just started calling him Axel and, like, that is the kind of... Derivative, the origin story. Yeah. Wow. I, I was like, oh. That's weird. Okay. Uh, so then in Los Angeles he was working as a night manager at Tower Records on Sunset, which is... Really cool. Yeah. Job. Uh, and he and his old pal from Indiana, Izzy Stradlin, um, was also there. They'd been making money smoking darts for science for $8 an hour, just fucking chain smoking. <laughs> I would have loved that job when I was a teenager. I, I went fucking to, loved a ciggy. I went to something around Christmas time <laughs> eight years ago when I was poor and I needed to buy presents and it was a, it was a smoking like... Thing. Really? What, what do they call it? It's like a, a research study or whatever on smoking. I had yeah. to watch ads about it and see how effective it was. And I was really? just like in there with strangers like, I could murder a cigarette <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I've been watching these videos about how bad smoking is. Can I, I take a break? A do we get break? a smoker? <laughs> smoker? Is that, can you still give me my Westfield gift card? If I can just take a quick smoker, thanks. Does Westfield have any... Tobacconists? I'm sure. Actually, you know, you can use those cars like regular money. Shout out Mandy. She told me that. Great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> um, he also started a band with Izzy called Hollywood Rose, which is, again. Narcissistic. It is. Um, but I'm here to tell you that there is a lot of that going on in this episode. I believe the. Oh, my God, twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> I believe the infamous future gunner. Guitarist slash uh, and future Gunners drummer Stephen Adler also joined the band just like slightly before it broke up. This Hollywood Rose band, they like joined, and then it was like, 
didn't work. Okay. Which is interesting, really. Um, Axel joined another band called L.A. Guns. And then in 1985, he merged L.A. Guns with the members of his old band, Hollywood Rose, and boom, Guns N' Roses is born. Amazing. I love it. Portmanteau. That's fun. It's not a portmanteau. <laughs> it's a better name than both of those names. It is. Which, which both of those names are kind of good, but Guns N' Roses is better. Definitely. In my expert opinion. <laughs> Uh, so Guns N' Roses had their first show at the Troubadour in Hollywood, which is a fucking iconic venue. Mm. Um, Joni Mitchell, Elton John, mm. Van Morrison all had shows there in their very early careers. Cheech and Chong. Mm, okay. My husband, Steve Martin, were both like they, he was discovered there. Um, oh, and it's also the place that John Lennon lost a weekend oh, um, wow. where John Ringo and Harry Nielsen were kicked out for heckling some fellas who were called the Smothers Brothers, which mm. I love that name. Anyway, I'm going to tell that story right now. Season one, episode eight. <laughs> uh Anyway, as I said, it was Guns N' Roses' first show. It's LA. It's the 80s. It's fucking hair metal, glam shit, sexy ladies, men in tights. Yes. And they were totally that, like back then. Yeah. Big fucking hair. They played a bunch of shows, developed a solid following, and then they were discovered by an A&R from Geffen who signed them. And then, like, bunker down, recorded their first record. There's some more to that, but. It was like a thousand words of not very interesting stuff. Okay. Uh, Stephen Adler, the drummer, he said that the percussion was recorded and done in six days mm-hmm. but that Axel's vocals took forever because he insisted on doing them one line at a time, which honestly sounds like the most Hell. annoying thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's also a surefire way for everyone to be super disappointed in your live show. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess I can understand it that, he, that, like, he really wanted the album to be perfect. But fucking hell. That's super annoying. It reminds me also of in the Metallica movie where Lars is doing those drum, like, he's written these drum parts, but he actually can't play them. <laughs> And they're all like, dude, you have to change it because we don't have to tour this. Anyway, it's like that. It's like. I think we should watch that later because I I have to rewatch it. Maybe we Um, should do Metallica. I think we might. (laughs) This could be a spoiler for this season or not. We don't know. Who knows? We're we're being a bit more loosey-goosey these days. Well, you know. We'll just write an episode on whatever we fucking want. Yeah, the world's on fire. We're going to do what we want. Everyone (laughs) else is. Yeah. Uh, in July 1987, they finally released their epic debut album. And may I just say that was 35 years ago. Oh. Appetite for Destruction. Great name. Uh, I don't actually remember noticing them in 1987 myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a precocious eight-year-old. I was pretty into like Mel and Kim and Madonna and Bananarama. I loved it. My I was in the womb. Was I was ready. <laughs> Um, I do know that all the meatheads at my high school loved them. Um, So these songs were still being thrashed by teenagers in 1993. Like, yeah. 
at least. I was particularly offended by the song My Michelle as I went to school with an absolute cunt called Michelle. Shout out. Hope you're listening. Uh, There's no way she would. She's too boring. Uh, It was like, ew, Michelle's a fucking redneck footy bitch and like footies like gunners. Um, No, thank you. Did you have footies at your school? What do you, I've heard you explain <laughs> to me what footies are, but you need to explain to me because I think you were like, yeah, and then a bunch of footies were chasing us across the field and I was like. I wonder if that's a Blue Mountains thing. It might be because that was, the, we were driving. Okay, so whenever <laughs> whenever we drive to the Blue Mountains, Amber just tells me all the things that happened. She was like, smoke some joints on that roof with margarita. And then <laughs> my old boyfriend lived there. We had acid one time. And they're like, every every single thing, she was like, there's a wall with the lower mountains and the upper mountains. Oh, but yeah. there was one time where you were like, had a big party on the field over there, but then some footies came and chased us. Yeah, it was terrifying. Okay, so tell me, tell us all what a fucking footy so is because I've forgotten. Like, we called footies people who liked footy. Okay. Which I guess in Australia is pretty common. Yeah, like a lot of people like footy. But teenagers who liked footy at my school were gross. Red. Redneck is probably a, a good way to say it. Okay. But then there were also Westies who were different. Oh, okay. And they were kind of into Metallica and they were wore flannels. Okay. But not in a, like, Nirvana way. Okay. In a, okay. Right. In a more Metallica, rednecky way. But they were Westies. And then footies were, like, gross. And they would wear footy shorts to school like in winter where it's really fucking cold in the mountains. Mm. I, I mean, like I went to a school where most of the time we just sat on mats and talked about our feelings. Yeah, so okay. people didn't really like competitive <laughs> sport very much. It frightened us. Even in high school? Uh, I mean, I played competitive sport um, Yeah, you were a scary basketball girl. Yeah, but um, I mean, the popular guys in my class did not really play sport at all. Good. Good for them. They surfed. It's more puberty blues than footies. Yeah, okay. Um, Anyway, I hope that's clear about a girl I don't like called Michelle. Fuck you. It's got almost nothing to do with Guns N' Roses. Anyway, what I do want to say, though, as a fully grown adult woman and a professional music expert, Mm -hmm. I can now say that it's a pretty fucking grey album. Like, it's really fucking good. Well, yeah. And I have really enjoyed listening to it. So much, like, while writing this, which I took my sweet time doing, um, I had it on all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would go on long drives, like, every fucking song is awesome. Welcome to the Jungle. Yep. Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Fucking Paradise City. Are you it's kidding a, yeah, me? Yeah, it's a great album. So many bangers, so fucking fun. Also, the name is great, Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Like, fuck. To date, it's sold more than 30 million copies and, I mean, no one even buys albums anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't even know what the streaming data is on this, Mm. but I probably, like, whacked it up a fair chunk in Mm. the last little while. Um, Cha-ching, that's $11.35 for you, Metallica. (laughs) It's the best-selling debut album of all time in the US. Mm. Um, like all, like everybody was into it, apparently. 
like all the people who were buying George Michael or whatever the year before were like now into Gunners. Yeah, like right. it's a massive leap and Big everyone shift. was fucking into it. It was huge. Huge. Y-U-G-E. Huge. Yeah, so uh, they toured a lot, got into a lot of trouble, fought with each other, you know, the usual. Mm-hmm. Axel mm-hmm. was a bit unstable even then in that early bit. Uh, the shows were a bit, ooh, what's going to happen? This okay. is fun. Uh, Axel would be super weird and work off early. Like he'd be like, fuck you, I'm leaving because someone in the audience had a camera. <laughs> okay. He would fucking hate playing a show right now. Yeah, since um, Sally. He'd be late for shows because he was getting arrested or because he was demanding a friggin' cheeseburger or something. Uh, Fair play. They did just tour consistently through that time. Um, in 1988 they released Lies, which was a live album, but I think it was actually kind of a bit of like a Band-Aid of slopping all these demo recordings together with a live audience played behind it to make it sound like it was a live album. Um I really think that. That's wild. Um, you don't have clarification. I you don't, just, no. Okay. I just think that. Yeah. Um, when you listen to it, it just sort of sounds like that to me. Um, but look, and that was received really well. Not by you. <laughs> Not by me, no. Uh, but, you know, as the Rolling Stone review said, quote, given that Guns N' Roses could probably release an album of Baptist hymns at this point and go, Platinum, it would be all too easy to dismiss Lies as a sneaky attempt by the band to throw together some outtakes and cash in on the busy holiday buying season. Good news is that Lies is a lot more interesting than that. And maybe that's true. Patience is on Lies, which is a pretty fucking great song. Mm. Uh, they got back to it, recorded again eventually. Uh, I'm not sure how the label agreed to this, but they released two double albums on the same day. It's very George Harrison. Use Your Illusions <laughs> 1 and Use Your Illusions DOS. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was super ambitious. That's a fucking lot of songs, but there is a heap of great songs. And actually Use Your Illusions 2 was the first Gunners. Gunders? Gunners. Gunners Rose. Gunners Roses? <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, it was the first Gunners album that I ever bought. From memory, it was because I liked Knocking on Heaven's Door. Like, it's know, great. You know, I love my Bob Dylan. Yeah. Anyway. Season two, episode one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You're good. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Adler, the drummer, was off his face all the time. They had to fire him. Um, and look, I'm sure the rest of them were all also fucked up all the fucking time, mm. but they could still, like, get it done. Like, yeah, you can be a heroin addict, you can be a raging alcoholic, but you still have to turn up to work. Yes. Amber is clapping her hands above her head. You hopefully can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Axel insisted, insisted that his friend Dizzy Reed was hired as a keyboardist. They didn't even have a keyboardist before. <laughs> He's like, we need a keyboard. <laughs> um, so now they're writing these like, and maybe, you know, they sort of did with the songs that were on Use Your Illusions. They were, had these like quite Led Zeppelin-esque epic songs like Civil War, which, uh, you know, got whistling in it. It's very Red Dead Redemption too, actually. Um, if I, if, had to check a Red Dead ref. That's your new um, 
Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, November Rain. Mm, mm. Um, apparently that song was demoed at the Appetite for Destruction phase and it might have been on that but it didn't mm-hmm. and thank God it didn't. It is a nine-minute ballad. Yeah. It has choirs, strings, grand piano, a horn section. It's fucking epic. It was the longest song ever to make the Billboard Top 20 uh, and I don't think it's too long. I think it's perfect. Wow. And the video? Amazing. Perfect, yep. I, I did want to do a whole spiel with you about the video, but what I'm going to say is, like, just watch it. Please watch it. Okay. I don't know what's going on. But it's very dramatic. Is there a wedding? <laughs> yeah. He okay. marries his girlfriend at the time, Stephanie Seymour. Yes. And then she dies, but we don't really know how she dies. It's, anyway, it's very entertaining. Give it a watch. If you think you know how she died, please let me know. <laughs> how did she die? Did he Stephanie, kill her? Stephanie, get in touch. <laughs> Was the whole thing a dream? Um, also, oh, I do have to say also about this video that like Slash was so hot in that video. Mm. I hate the hat. I hate the hat. Like if there's one thing I hate, it's a fucking hat. Mm. And to make a hat your whole vibe <laughs> is so gross and I fucking hate it. Um, but in the November rain clip, he's like, no hat. He's guitar soloing outside the chapel, which is a real clown car situation, I must say. Like from the outside it's like this tiny chapel <laughs> in the desert and then inside it's very glamorous 300 people plus event. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Slash is there with his flannel open, very nice chest. Again, no hat, no sunnies either. Just ah. a lot of hair blowing into his face, got his ciggy in his mouth. Burn the shit out of his hair probably. It's very windy. <laughs> There's a lot of ciggies in that film clip. You're going to want to need to, like, you're going to need time to either work through the need for a cig or have a cig. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyone? <laughs> oh, oh, and also, uh, no, I'm not going to talk anymore about it. You know what? I'm not. You don't have to be. <laughs> I'm loving it. I've still got quite a long way to go. Uh, the Use Your Illusions era was also pretty different to the Appetite for Destruction, like silly mega rock stuff. Um, and not just because Axel stopped poofing up his hair. Um, they had a lot of money and it kind of turned everything into a big circus. And Izzy decided he'd have an, like, he just had enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sick of Axel's shit. He quit booze. He bought a mountain bike, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I do have to say that Izzy was undoubtedly the hottest member of the band. Oh, you would like him, Cara. He's got kind of an English face, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. He's really handsome. Yeah, he does have an English face. He does look like... Um, a gilf, <laughs> a guy I'd like to fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would do, would do. Good, good, very important and I need to know that and thank you. I think I would trim his hair like and we'd ha- like, I think that could be fun. Yeah. You know, like we get yeah. high and then listen to music and then I get the scissors yeah. out. Like obviously no one really was doing their best work with their hair besides Slash obviously. I think Izzy's hair is pretty good. You like it? I like it. Okay. 
Just get it out of his eyes. <laughs> For Christ's sake, the man can't see. <laughs> also, you're right. Just like it does give me a little bit of concern just about all of these cigs around all this like flowing loss. So many cigs. Guys. Uh, I burn my hair all the time when I have Do cigarettes. You? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always like, yeah, oh well. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, okay, but so also Izzy was a very big contributor to the songwriting. And when he left, Axel had also lost his childhood friend. Uh, And with that, probably the only person who really grounded him. Mm. And Axel became an absolute monster. (laughs) Obviously, I will talk about this stuff later in some depth. Okay. Uh, But there are some things I have to tell you right now, keep the story moving. So you might hear some terrible things already. They were going to release an EP of covers, but that turned into a whole album of covers that has the very stupid title of The Spaghetti Incident. No. I don't know why there is a question mark about it too. (laughs) The Spaghetti Incident? The Spaghetti Incident. But there is. uh, It's mostly punk covers, um, The Misfits, The Stooges, The Damned. Uh, It was all recorded at like the sessions when they were recording Use Your Illusions. Um, So that's some thriftiness by the record company. Mm -hmm. Slash said that the recordings were done at the time just to release some pressure from the stress of making an album. They were like, just let's just fucking play this awesome Maggie Pop song. Okay. And they just recorded it all. They also wanted to funnel money into some of their, like to their favourite bands, like via the royalties, which is super fucking nice actually. Mm. It also has a secret track. Which is a cover of a terrible, as they all are, Charles Manson song. Oh God! And people got really mad. Yeah. Also, secret song. I totally forgot about those. Yeah. Love how it. Fucking good is that? Yeah, uh, why, guys? No. <laughs> I have to listen to like eighteen minutes of silence. Mm. I like the idea of a secret song, but I don't oh, like the idea of like, Charles Manson. Charles Manson sucked. Mm. It's universally known. Like not just sucked because he was a sucky, shitty person, but he sucked as a musician. Yeah. Well, Axel said that the song song was done with, quote, naive and innocent black humour on our part. Um, And then they actually gave all of the royalties from that song to the son of the La Biancas and Geffen donated their share to the Doris Tate Crime Victims Bureau. So that's okay. nice. All right, all right, all right. But apart from that nice, small, nice thing, uh, Axel started to go full egomaniac rock star and it all started to fall apart. Stephen Adler sued them, saying he'd been illegitimately fired. Uh, the guy who was hired to replace Izzy, whose name was Gilby Clark, wild name, Gilby, mm-hmm. uh, were shocked when before their last show on the Use Your Illusion tour, Ac- Axel said to him, enjoy your last show. Oh. <laughs> uh, his contract was not renewed, much to the surprise of everyone in the band besides Axel. Gilby. He hadn't consulted anyone, just decided that Gilby was a hired hand. That is rough. It is rough. Um, Slash was royally pissed when he found out that Axel had hired another one of his childhood friends named Toby, no, Paul Tobias, uh, without consulting anyone in the band. Okay. In 1995, Axel 
legally left Gunners and created a partnership under the band's name. Slash claimed he and the other bandmates signed away their rights to the name before a show during the previous tour with Axel delivering an ultimatum, sign the name over to him right now or he wouldn't perform that night. Super shady is fucked. Uh, It's horrible. A year later, Slash left the band because he was sick of Axel's shit. The drummer Matt Sorum was fired after a bunch of arguments about how Paul Tobias had joined the band and Sorum later stated that Tobias was the Yoko Ono of Guns N' Roses. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Can we stop, leave Yoko out of this? She had nothing to do with it. Leave her alone. Leave Yoko alone. Yoko is the best. Mm. Uh, Then they had like a million members in and out from here on, so I'm not going to bother telling you any more about that shit. Um, They didn't record any albums for a long time. There was whispers of a forthcoming album titled Chinese Democracy. This album had been started in 1994, so back when all the original members were still in the band. And in 1999, the band's manager said, it's almost finished. It'll be out in the year 2000. But, he, but I also have to say that in 1999, no one had seen Axl Rose publicly for years. Uh, he was holed up in his mansion, writing, recording, hiring, firing. It's really Howard Hughesing it. I, I was just oh about to God. say that. <laughs> Sorry, I ruined it. It was the Howard Hughes of rock and roll. Okay. Um, in 2001, the album was still not out and the, plan, uh, the band played a couple of terrible shows. In 2006, he made a statement that said, people will hear music this year. Ooh. Um, uh, referring to this album, which was called Chinese Democracy. Yeah. Did I already say that? Yeah. Okay, good. But the same one, yeah. Okay. Um, it's I'm been sure, coming for yeah, ages, like molasses or a fine strainer. I'm, you know, people were going to... Like, they were sure it was going to happen, but it still didn't come out. And on March 6th, 2008, Dr Pepper announced a plan to give everyone in America, except the band's former guitarist Slash and Buckethead, I don't know why, a free can of Dr Pepper if the band released Chinese Democracy before the end of 2008. And Axel snuck it in just in time. Everyone got Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. No, I actually don't know what happened with that. Oh. Because, but it Lies. did. It came out in November 2008, 15 years since their last release, Chinese Democracy, debuted at number three on the charts and was underwhelming. Oh, what a surprise. Uh, you give people 15 years of anticipation, <laughs> it's never going to live up no, to anything. Absolutely not. I, I remember like naively feeling like, this is going to be the greatest album ever. They work really hard on this. Like, yeah. I had to get it perfect. <laughs> but you can't polish a turd. No. Even if you scrub at it for 15 years. Clearly. You really can't. In 2012, the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Axel didn't go to the ceremony. Oh. He posted a lengthy open letter at one point saying the ceremony, quote, doesn't appear to be somewhere where I'm actually wanted or respected. Oh, my God. But all that animosity was just silly because Slash and Duff and Izzy all came back to the band and they pulled off what is still the third highest grossing tour of all time. Isn't that nice? Wow. 
Uh, I should, however, note that around this time, Axel emerging from his cave, he's sporting cornrows. No. Baggy leather pants. Oh. And he could barely breathe, let alone sing. It's wild that there was a man in this band whose name was Buckethead who literally wore a KFC bucket in his head but Axel looked more cooked than him. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, In some Australian news, Axel joined ACDC in 2016 to finish a tour after Brian Johnson had to leave due to hearing problems, so that's nice. Uh, I feel like it's a good fit. Yeah. But old Brian got his hearing back, Axel was out. Mm. In 2020, they toured again, released two new singles. So, yeah, they're still at it. Uh, he lives in Malibu in an enormous compound-style mansion. He loves homeopathic medicine and psychics and regression therapy. Um, during the recordings of Chinese Democracy, Rose had a personal psychic who would look at photographs of potential employees to read their auras and basically they decided whether or not these people would get hired. Okay. That's ludicrous. It is. Uh, He also loves Twitter as all rich old white guys do. They love it. They love it. Uh, But I must say, as someone who started out such a like Trump-esque guy, uh, he's not a Trump supporter. Okay. hates him. Uh, And I mean... If you're going to say one thing about Axel Rose, I feel like you would say that he killed Guns N' Roses with his personality mm. and perhaps that's his greatest crime. I think so. No, it's not. Okay. Just kidding. There's heaps more bad shit than that. All right. Uh, but before we get into it, current and sex trail, what do you think of W. Axel Rose, Bill Bailey, Billy Rose, William Rose Bailey, whatever his dang name is? Okay. So I think... I'm going to out myself as not super cool right now, but in 1998, a film called Can't Hardly Wait was released. Did that have Jennifer Love Hewitt? It did. I don't know why, but I do not like her. Fair enough. Each to their own. I'm ambivalent. But um, in that, the, like, nerd gets drunk at the party and then he sings... Paradise City. Great. And in all honesty, that was my first introduction. Well, you're a child. Yeah, I was 10. That's, but That's perfectly reasonable. My, yeah. Also, my, my parents are... Not gunners, guys. No, they're, they're you know... They're not they're, footies. They're, they're, they're not footies. They're pretty old. They get stiffies over Rod Stewart. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was like my first foray into it and I was like, this song is so good. <laughs> and then also my absolutely magnificent, brilliant friend, Cara. <gasps> yep, Cara Jens McKinnon is a oh, yeah. uh, producer on the 7am podcast, mm-hmm. a fabulous podcast if you're interested in Australian current affairs, beautifully produced. Shout out. Um but she had a dog named Axel and at her family home where there were some fun, really fun parties. When she had a factory party, like as in an Andy Warhol factory what? party. As a child? No, no, like we, it must have oh. been either her 18th or 21st. That's still very cool. Yeah, and like I went as Nico. Of course. By did. the way, 
if I ever want to go blonde, say no. Okay. Say no. Okay. You look like you have hepatitis. <laughs> and I did. Um, but they, like, covered the house in um, alfoil. Oh, my God, really, cool. Like, she has the funnest parents. They're so magnificent. Um, but they also had a pinball machine, which was a Guns N' Roses pinball machine <gasps> downstairs. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's just, uh, so they're kind of like my memories. And But, I, I mean, I definitely listened to them a lot in high school. Um, and they're just like those, like, fucking classic grey rock ballads. They're They're really good. They're so good. Yeah, I never really was, like, super attracted or, like, a wild fan, but they always had a very dear place in my heart. And, like, if they came on at a party or something, like, we definitely played them at high school parties a lot. Yeah. And I was, I was out there, I was thrashing around, (laughs) like a little fucking lunatic, (laughs) And then I'd be drunk and or high and then I'd be like, go up to someone's parents and be like, hi, I just need a garbage bag. I'm just going to do a quick tidy up and then <laughs> go around the party and then tidy everything up. Wow. I've always been the same. Car-ish thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It. That's a real carism. I love it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very, their, their music, their songs, their like whole look, I definitely... Um, went to school with people who emulated their look for oh, sure. Yeah, they had actually Axel actually had really cool fashion. Yeah, like I, absolutely. You know I love bike pant. Yeah. And he rocked a bike pant with a leather jacket. I loved it. Yeah. It I did too. Awesome. And I loved like I did like definitely I was um like you know the people I went to school with and the people around me were you know creative and and a lot more maybe freer in their expression because they could be, yeah. you know. They weren't, we, we didn't kind of, uh, you know, have high schooling with serious like hierarchy and yeah. bitchiness and there was clickiness but it was never really cruel and mean yeah. for the most part and so people were able to express themselves more and I really loved the way that the boys that I knew growing up like kind of embraced that freedom of expression through yeah. fashion and I they were definitely the inspiration. So oh. I think it just harks back to kind of like more of a um, formative time in my life. And yeah, totally. It's timeless fucking rock and roll. Yeah, it definitely is. It's 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 powerful stuff. It is and, and it, it's timeless. Like it sounds still so crispy and hard and like you know what I mean if like, I heard Paradise City in a pub right now I would I would be bopping fuck yeah you would yeah for so sure good. so traditionally the bad stuff component of the app has always been broken up to like offending sections we like to write don't we yeah um but upon starting the bad stuff section the bio was so long that I felt it nest to combine the first category into a tropical fuckstorm I like to call sexist, racist and homophobic. A tropical fuckstorm? Yes. I love you so much. Thank you. Okay, go on. Um, So on their stopgap album Lies, there's a song called One in a Million and, mate, it is fucked. It is so fucked. Even in the very sexist, racist, homophobic 80s, people were shocked by this song. And I think even more shocking than them doing, like, the Charles Manson cover. Like, this was worse. Because it is fucking worse. 
In the song, he warns N-words to get out of the way and complains about F-words who spread some fucking disease. Ew. When the album came out, people were like, what the fuck? And he basically defended using the N-word saying, it's a word to describe someone that's basically a pain in your life, a problem. (laughs) What the fuck? The word bleep doesn't necessarily mean black. Uh, get a grip. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then That's not the point. (laughs) No, it's not the point. And even back then I feel like everybody knew what that fucking word means. Yeah. We all know. And I also think that the market wouldn't have been like necessarily as saturated as it is now with that word, you know, which is so commonly used in music now. Yeah, that's by absolutely black people. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever. But like, that's not the point. But the point being, like, I feel like maybe we're a bit more desensitized to it now, yet we still don't use the word because of the derivatives. You know what I mean? Like, we don't use it if. We are white folks, especially. I never use it. Uh, I would, I would, I, it makes me feel ill. It does. It's really foul. Ugh. Then in an interview in 1992, he admitted that the song was about how when he got to LA, he had this massive culture shock. And he said, quote, I was pissed off about some black people who were trying to rob me. I wanted to insult those particular black people. I didn't want to support racism. <laughs> so he owns up to the racism, but not really. No. Um, okay, pal. Um, and about allegations of homophobia, uh, he said he considered himself pro-heterosexual, which is a fucking what? dickhead thing to say. Like, dude, just say it. You're fucking homophobic. Pro-heterosexual? He said he was, quote, not against homosexuals doing what they want to do as long as it's not hurting anybody else and they're not forcing it upon me or him, he meant. No Um, one likes you. No one. He blamed this attitude on a, quote, bad experience with a gay man. He said in his late teens a truck driver tried to rape him Um, and he... You know, he brought up all this awful shit that he I don't think the track regression driver. therapy about his biological father. It's like, but that's not gay. No. That's not homosexuality. <laughs> no, that's not gay. That's rapist. Yes, yeah. Um, as you can imagine, the LGBTQIA plus community did not buy it, uh, and Guns and Roses were dropped from a whole roster of AIDS benefit shows. Good. Here's a little snippet from the song. No, I I don't even think I can say it. I can. Immigrants and F-words. He clearly doesn't say F-words. You know what he's saying. Yep. Um, They make no sense to me. They come to our country and they think they'll do as they please, like start some mini Iran or spread some fucking disease. And they talk so many goddamn ways, it's all Greek to me. It's so... Ig- oh, it's just it's so horrible. But it's also just f- you're a fucking I'm trying to think of a word that's not ableist right now. It's that's it's just ridiculous. Like that doesn't even make any sense. Like he was what definitely the, fuck the like even trying to say he's the proto Trump supporter. He's the prototype of the Trump supporter. 
this song. Does he think is. that that homosexual like, people oh, are immigrating? Wait, what? There's an it? immigrant in the convenience store. How outrageous! Mm. What about jobs for Americans? It's like he's the vision of like the angry white American man, and it's super dangerous and it's gross. Yep, gross. Yeah. <sighs> There's more yelling to come. Great. Uh, he told Rolling Stone uh, he'd been through hell when it came to women. Oh, um, is it evil women? And I'll tell you now, before I get into the domestic violence portion of the podcast, oh, um, that it was well documented that Axel was prone to violent outbursts. I challenge you to find a Rolling Stone interview from the 80s or the 90s where a journalist doesn't witness firsthand Axel throwing a bottle of vodka at the wall or some shit. Like, I read a lot, as we may have told you, the patrons have bought us a fucking Rolling Stone subscription online so we can read all these great old articles. Um, I read so many. They all start with him doing something violent and aggressive. But he's been through hell with the women. But he's the cover boy. Like the interview, this one, 1989 interview starts, quote, one guitar has been destroyed, a mirror wall shattered, several platinum albums broken beyond repair and the telephone dropped off a 12-storey balcony. Apparently Axl Rose had something to get off his out of his system. It's like that's... It's very unprofessional. (laughs) 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 Okay. So in his personal life, apart from dating like a slew of models and playboy playmates, uh, Axel was famously linked to two women. Mm -hmm. The first is Erin Everly, his first and only wife. So they met at a party in early 1986 she was born and raised in LA. She was the daughter of Don Everly from the Everly Brothers. Ah. Um, fucking amazing music right there. Um, she was a model at the time they met. She's only three years younger than Axel, 19 to his 22, babies mm-hmm. um, on the cusp of greatness, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, people said that she was the opposite of Axel. She was nice and sweet and kind um, at the time they met, Erin was living in New York where all good fashion models live. It's fashion. Uh, but she'd moved back to L.A. to be with Axel. And I also should say that at this stage, Axel was not yet a big, rich rock star. She said later in an interview, quote, it was the first relationship I had. I felt like we were two people who didn't have much but who found each other. I was looking for someone who wanted to get married, have a bunch of children and get a station wagon. Oh, well, dream big. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Sorry. You can do better. You were born in L.A. To Everly's. To an Everly. Uh, Axel wrote a poem about his love for Erin that he eventually turned into a song and that song was Sweet Child O' Mine. Mm. And she was in the video for this song uh, mm-hmm. and but so were all of the like Gunners girls. Uh, she appeared in the clip for It's So Easy as well. 
Uh, but wearing sweet child, she was like smiling with her long curly hair and like sweet as pie, like I'm a girlfriend. <laughs> um, and it's so easy. The vibe's very like S and M. She's in a G banger. She's got a ball gag in her mouth, and okay. Axel's got a whip. Um, mm. And I really wanted to tell you a story. Where's that station wagon at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to tell you a story about how Axel and David Bowie got into a punch-up over her. Yes! But this episode is already too long, so just Google it. But it's really interesting. Okay. Well, that was... Sorry, you should just Google it. Do you want to pause? No. Okay, good. Um, anyway, Axel and Erin got married in Las Vegas in April 1990, but things were not good even before they got married. In fact, the day before the ceremony, Axel had threatened Erin that he would kill himself with a gun in his car out the front of her house if she didn't marry him. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Um, and then... Remember, everyone, it never gets better. No. So don't put a Band-Aid on it. Uh she complies to his manipulation. Great. Marries him. And 48 hours after the wedding, he wanted an annulment. Oh, my God. Uh, he didn't go through with it, though. And then a month later, he filed for divorce. They got back together. Erin got pregnant. Do you know why that he filed? Irreconcilable? No, I don't know. Some bullshit like that. Okay. I think you can file for annulment pretty easily. If it's very soon. No, but so he tried to do an annulment but then oh, took yeah. it back. Take, yeah, take and then they got seats, back together. And then he and filed then he for divorce. divorce. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, they got back together again. Aaron got pregnant. And apparently he was stoked. Unfortunately, Aaron had a miscarriage. So he broke up with her and refused to help her out with money for the medical bills associated with the miscarriage. What a fucking cunt. Oh. And it gets worse. Don't worry, it gets worse. Uh, she then told people that before they got married that he'd beat her up so badly that she was hospitalised. She described him as a maniac who abused her sexually, physically and emotionally. He was so controlling that he had all of the doors removed from the inside of their house so that he could monitor her better. Oh, my goodness. And in the year after they broke up, he stalked her and constantly sent flowers, cards, one time a bird in a cage, which is like, well, that is way off the mark. Um, and now if my timelines are correct, the same year that he was obsessively trying to win back Aaron's affection, he also started dating a very famous model named Stephanie Seymour. I'm sorry, I just can't get over the medical costs, like... I'm I'm here. I'm all the way up here. My hand is right up. It is extended up, up in the air right it now. Is. I am here and I am now seeking revenge. I've had enough. <laughs> I don't want equity anymore. I want revenge. Yeah. I want revenge for, what's her name? Erin Everly. I want Erin. I'm doing it. Beautiful Erin <laughs> Everly. What the actual fuck? Because at this time he's got money by this point? Or is he no, still poor? Not very much. He did. I he mean, regardless. You know, he would have had some. Maybe don't appetite for ejaculating a woman. Yeah. Saws. <sighs> not saws. I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep pushing forward. Please do. We're up to Stephanie Seymour. So she was a pretty big deal in 1991. She was a Victoria's Secret model. 
She was a swimsuit lady for Sports Illustrated. She'd been on the cover of Vogue. She had a pretty fucked history of relationships, though. When she was 16, she was living with a man named John Casablancas, who was the head of Elite Modelling Agency, and he was 42. How old was she? 16. Okay. He was also married. Great. Uh, And he moved her into the matrimonial house. So gross. Uh, she was also what? yeah. She was also married to a guitarist named Tommy Andrews, uh, with who she had a kid um, and had divorced by 1990. Okay, that's a lot for a 23 year old woman to have gone through. Yep. Anyways, she's hot prop in the modeling world, and Gunners hire her to be in two videos uh, for November Rain and Don't Cry. And at the time, she was dating Warren Beatty, which is so weird. <laughs> Warren Beatty is meant to be wildly we, good in the sack. We should put him on the burn list, though, for okay. sure. Put him in the burn book. <laughs> anyway, The limit does not exist. <laughs> it, no, it does not exist. <laughs> Axel and Steffi met. Warren was out of the picture. Axel is quoted as saying... I've been hit by a Mack truck and the license plate is Seymour. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck off. They were madly in love. Axel was very attached to her kid, Dylan. Um, and then two years after they got engaged, three weeks after they got engaged, they broke up. Okay. I'm just going to crack this, everyone. Do it. Go on. Jeez. Right after that, she did an interview with Harper's Bazaar and she said, getting involved with Axl Rose, clearly a mistake. He taught me a lot though. He's a violent person and I realised I never wanted to be around that again. The thrill of the whole rock and roll thing wore off. I saw the worst of that world and it soured me. Uh, Axel let a lawsuit do the talking in response to that when he accused her of assault, battery and stealing jewellery worth more than $100,000. Apparently the jewellery included a diamond, gold and turquoise necklace, a 45-carat, that's not real, four-and-a-half-carat diamond engagement ring. Hers? Yes. Okay. Stephanie then countersued him, accusing him of abusing her and that the jewellery was hers. Mm. She subpoenaed Evan Everly to testify her um, and unfortunately we don't know what went down, but definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely won that case. Was it so? It was. It wasn't settled out a quarter or anything like that. It actually came to. It came to fruition. Did you lose? Yeah. In 1994, Erin also filed a lawsuit against him. In it, she accused him of punching her, slapping her, shoving her, kicking her, tying her up, gagging her, spitting on her, and dragging her by the hair. Oh, it's fucking awful. After one beating, the lawsuit said Erin Everly passed out and woke up in a hospital to learn she'd been injected with heroin and cocaine and gone into cardiac arrest. Jesus! The former Mrs Rose also said uh, he forced her several times to have sex and claimed to be, quote, in touch with the spirit and extraterrestrial beings. She said that she had waited so long to make these accusations because she feared for her safety. Mm, interesting. The suit was settled out of court, so I can't tell you what happened there, unfortunately. 
But you do know, but you're not allowed to say. <laughs> she told me. <laughs> I called her. What were we watching today? Oh, yeah, we were watching Keeping Up the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've had a very big week at work <laughs> and we watched it today and then um, Amber was just like, I'm going to text Tristan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message him right now. <laughs> he needs to know what he's done to me as well as Chloe. Yeah. I cried. <laughs> she did. Anyway. Just for other reasons. Um, oh, and before we move on from like that story... Um, I also have to tell you that besides a brief stint dating Anthony Kiedis, season, season what? Three? Episode one? Yeah, let's um, do that. She got married and had kids and sold everything that Axel ever gave her and I hope she's feeling fine today. Me too. Good on you, Steph. Okay. June 25th, 1985, Axel and Slash are accused of raping a girl. Mm-hmm. This story is fucked. Sorry, so, I just said, mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, the story is really fucked. The girl was 15 years old. Her name was Michelle, which also makes me feel really bad about how I hate that song about my Michelle. She's a new sister. In Slash's book, he tells a story like Axel had sex with this girl in their loft. She freaked out and it's not explained why. Then Axel tried to kick her out of the apartment, but she wouldn't leave. And then in journalist Mick Wall's book, he tells it that she ran away, she was naked, and Axel and Slash chased after her, wanting to know if she was okay. Obviously this didn't go unnoticed. A 15-year-old girl naked running through the streets and no. these two guys chasing her. In L.A.? Yeah. Yeah. Slash... And then, like, I think the police started looking for them. This all happened on the same night too. Like, the police started looking for them. They find out about that. So Slash went and hid out at Stephen Adler, the drummer's house. Um, I think Axel went back to, had gone back to Slash's house and the police were there at the house looking for them and everyone who was at the house, apparently everyone's at the house all the time, they all get dragged outside except for Axel, who was hiding behind some, like, amps or something with a woman. And Axel said of this, quote, while the cops are out there harassing everybody, asking their stupid questions, I'm with this girl behind the amp and we start going at it. Oh, that was, the, that was a rush. I got away with it. It was really exciting. Oh. So the cops left and they said, okay, you tell your mates... You know, Axel and Slash that they need to hand themselves into the police. They didn't, though. Axel apparently slept slept rough, uh, and Slash had some quote awesome threesomes with Stephen and his girlfriend. Mm. Uh, eventually, they did hand themselves in because they couldn't play any more shows because they knew that the police would be waiting for them. <laughs> Axel later said, "Quote." Everyone was trying to hide it from the record company. Rape charge? What rape charge? The charges were dropped <sighs> eventually, but for a while we had to go into hiding. We had undercover cops and the vice squad looking for us. They were talking a mandatory five years. It kind of settled my hormones for a while. You're disgusting. <sighs> so they got charged with felony rape due to the girl having connections with the LAPD. They both go to court. 
and all the charges are dropped. So, yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. So he's going to get life in prison for all of these, mis- like, not misdemeanors, but small petty crimes, and then he rapes a 15-year-old girl and, and he gets right off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, no, that, that checks out. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry that I said I enjoyed listening to Guns N' Roses, but I did. I enjoyed it. I was never a huge fan, and I'm certainly not now. I haven't listened to it again since writing the bad stuff, except for just before when I was trying to, like, get in the mood because I'm tired. Yeah. Um, That's the end. Oh. Finally. (laughs) Wasn't that long. Let's have a quick break. Okay. And let's come back with some more content. Yeah. I'm sorry. Are we rolling? We're rolling. All right, my turn now. Once upon a time (laughs) in a far off land, an ancient place rich with ancient history, goddesses and gods, domades and grilled meats, Home of Europe's oldest capital, the birthplace of democracy. <gasps> We're talking Athens, Greece, baby. Fuck yeah. Uh, and in this magical place, a baby was born on October 3rd, 1962. Libra. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, a baby who would grow into a misogynistic and revolting rock star. <laughs> Today I am doing uh, Thomas Lee Bass, also known as Tommy Lee Bass. <laughs> Big Mouth, what is it, Billy Big Mouth Bass or whatever that you put on your <laughs> It sings a stupid It sings like, um, oh, is it Don't Worry Be Happy? No, it does the I Container song. Rolling on the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, they yeah. probably have multiple ones. Yeah, they probably do. Because I also feel like Jeremiah was a bullfrog came into yes, my mind. Yes, I've seen that too. All right, Maybe. enough about Billy Big Face Bass. Okay. <laughs> uh, Tommy's dad was from Minnesota uh, <laughs> in the land of the free and his mother, her name is Vasiliki Papadimitriou. I love that name. That's wrong. Don't stop. I'm sorry. Um, and she was, of course... Greek. Papadimitro? I don't know. Um, she was also a beauty queen. Um, yeah, she was. Do you think Tommy Lee is hot? Let's start with that. Or was? He was a bit hot. Okay. Anyway, I'm jumping the gun here because I'm curious. I just wanted to know. But I didn't think it was attracted. hot at the time. I want that to be pretty clear. Okay. All right, well, I should mention that Tom also, can I just apologise for my voice because I've had a lot of events this week and a lot of yelling. So she's been working her ass off. I have. Um, I should mention that Tommy's parents married after meeting once. His mother couldn't speak English and his father couldn't speak Greek. In Greece? No. Yes. I'm going to get to it. Okay. Or I think I am going to get to it, but... um. Anyway, Tommy thought that this was like true love. No, it's just horrifying. Yeah, honestly, I do not agree in any way with that sentiment, but whatever. I also think it's very telling given his future relationship choices. Um, So when Tommy was two years old, the family settled in West 
Covina, California. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty. I don't. Okay, I I don't. I mustn't say this. His father was like a military man. Ugh, that was it. Um, Apologies to any military man. I do know a couple, and they're very nice. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Uh, when he was four years old, he got himself his first drum kit bought by his supportive parents, which is cute. Uh, Tommy played in his high school marching band, but in his senior year, he was like, nah, no dice, I'm out of here. And he dropped out to pursue his music career. Um, I heard on the Shameless podcast that he only had six weeks of school to go. But... There was a goddamn tour to do. Oh, fair enough. He was a baby. Yeah. He didn't know. He didn't know. And it actually all worked out great for him. It really did. So it was fine. It <laughs> Drop really out of school, did. kids. <laughs> do drugs. Have I, sex be free. I dropped out. Tommy Lee dropped out. There you go. Uh, his first band was Sweet 19 and they were regulars on the strip. And when he was playing in that very band, he met one Nikki Six. Mm-hmm. Nicky saw Tommy play and he thought, this is it. He's got to be in my band. He simply must be my drummer. He and will be mine. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and eventually he was. So initially Nicky joined Sweet 19, but soon they would form the one and only Motley Crue. <laughs> Their name meaning a diverse and poorly organised group of people and I can attest <laughs> to the fact that they lived up to their name and more. Uh, the band formed in 1981 and was made up of four truly filthy fellas, uh, Nikki Six, Mick Mars, Vince Neil and, of course, Tommy Lee. Tommy also gained his nickda- nickname uh, T-Bone because he's <laughs> lean and tall in stature. Uh, their debut album was Too Fast for Love and soon after Elektra Records scooped those little fuckers right up. And then we have Shout at the Devil in 1983, mm-hmm. then Theatre of Pain in 1985. Theatre of Pain. Theatre of Pain. Um, the absolute classic Girls, Girls, Girls followed <laughs> in 1987. Girls, girls, girls. Exactly. Girls are great though. Yeah, I know, but very. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the devil, but also awesome. Mm. Excuse me. Um, now, our dear protagonist first married when he was at the ripe old age of 19, oh. and that was in 1984. She could party just like him, and that got him hot. Uh, Elaine Starchuk was his betrothed. I've got to Google her. Starchuk. Right, okay. No C, just a K. Uh, so much like one of his future wives, she was a Canadian national. And now these two were in a relationship for a good couple of years before marriage, but sadly this was short-lived. And the marriage lasted all of seven days before it was oh, finito. Crikey. The couple were officially divorced in May of 1985. On another podcast called Celeb- not this one, called Celebrity Memoir Book Club which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> they said the breakup was solidified because Elaine called Tommy's mum a cunt. Um, That's not very nice. She was yeah. a beauty queen. Come on, have some respect. Have, have <laughs> some respect. I would divorce someone if they called your mum that, frankly. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I should say, he physically assaulted her um, 
when she threw these verbal jabs. Oh. But let's leave that for a bit later. Okay. But whoa, 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 whoa. Let us not forget 1986, an important year within which the Phantom of the Opera debuted and Tommy married America's sweetheart. The one, the only. Heather, Heather Locklear. Locklear. Yes. Fucking what a babe. The bitch is back. I love her. Yeah. Her Melrose Place character, Amanda Woodward, once said, get used to the fact that even the most perfect sensitive guy is Bottom line, a dog. I mean, he might be a well-behaved dog, but he still howls at the moon and grabs the first leg he can get a hold of. (laughs) Bitch has got a point. She does. Um, I love her. I don't know if I've made this joke later because I haven't read this in ages, but um, where's it? Um, Garth, can I be frank? Sure, can I still be Garth? (laughs) (laughs) I hope I haven't written that later. Anyway, um, let's talk a bit about Motley Crue, uh, who Nikki originally suggested should be called Christmas. Get a grip, Nikki. You are wrong, Nikki. Uh, They settled on Motley Crue. It's a great name. And the umlaut is only because they were drinking low and brow at the time. I love it. Uh, Great. So they've sold more than 100 million albums, which is nothing to be snuffed at. No, that's a lot. They're all about the show, like the big show. They love the theatrics. The stories of the band are truly foul. They are fucking foul as shit. They're so foul. Disgraceland does a great episode on them. Mm. But I feel like he, Jake Brennan, yeah, I feel like he is quite sympathetic in a way I don't think... That's not going to happen here. No. Like, I don't... Maybe he's not sympathetic. I mean, he's telling a rollicking yarn. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you the cold hard facts. Yeah, thank you. Allegedly. If you want to hear (laughs) a fun time about this... Disgraceline. But I still couldn't listen to it even with his amazing production and storytelling. It was still like, ugh. Yeah, they really are fucking gross. Uh, Nikki, one, one fun example, Nikki and Tommy had a bet going of who who would wash their genitals first. So you can imagine how that would be putrid. Who um, would wash? Like who, whoever washed their... They would just leave them foul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whoever <gasps> caved and washed their Ew. junk first was the loser. That's yuck. They allegedly rubbed breakfast burritos on their junk to mask the scent of their previous no. sexual partners. No. Yucky, unhealthy. Bad, bad hygiene. Was there chili, like, was there adobo on them? I mean, burning, burning pee. That's not cool. It's really gross. Uh, they had a cockroach infestation in their LA apartment and they couldn't afford pest control. So they used hairspray and lighters to get rid of them. That's cool. Doesn't scream intelligence to me. <laughs> But each their own. Um, Tommy also had quite the reputation for showing his butt to the crowd. He loved exposing himself to adoring fans. He's got kind of a cute butt. Probably. Uh, You know, if you can get past the stench. Uh, Now, there are two books I'm going to reference. What's more rock and roll than fucking two books, man? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's... The absolute classic of the canon, the 2005 Tommy Land, a beautiful autobiography written by <laughs> Tommy Anthony from, from the publisher and, and Tommy's dick. Yep. His <laughs> penis makes many quips and interjections throughout. Oh, right. So yep. it's like 
in his dick is a character basically in, talking in Georgia the font. It's Tommy Lee and then <laughs> and like Helvetica curly it's st <laughs> from the dick. Exactly. Okay. Um, it was a New York Times bestseller. I'll have you know. I don't know what you need. I to don't get that. No, done. I know. Um, I, now, I, what do you sell? Ten copies. <laughs> Every fucking cunt has a fucking. Anyway, I agree. Uh, I didn't read this for my own sanity, uh, but the brilliant podcast Celebrity Memoir Book Club, hosted by Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton, did a magnificent job of covering it. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for doing the legwork for me. Um, But I did read slash listen to Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band, Arrogance Much. Yeah. Is that written by Nikki Six? All of them. Oh, uh, I mean, Led Zeppelin yeah. allegedly fucked a woman with a fish. Mm. The hard-hitting finale episode of season two. It's episode eight. Um, so I'll be referencing these books. But I'm just saying maybe you're not the most notorious rock band of all time, guys. Yeah, like, maybe relax. other people did fucked shit too. Yeah, exactly. They are pretty bad though. They are. Um, notorious does- to me. I'd like to just for a second. Maybe this is going too 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 hard in on this, but I think I would just mention that it does go without saying that the band did a lot of drugs. All the drugs. Gimme, gimme, gimme. They did loads of drugs. Now tell us what the definition of notorious is. It works. Um <laughs> I was wrong. Uh famous or well known, typically for some bad quality or deed. Great. No, I think they're notorious, but I don't know if they're the world's most notorious. Like, no, they're, they're pretty bad, though. I know, but I just don't think so. Okay. Personally. Okay. In 1995, Tommy met the woman, apparently nicknamed the rubber band, Pamela Anderson. I love her. Beach running babe we all know and love. She's kind. She's beautiful. She is. She's funny. She's an animal activist. I love her. A whirlwind romance took place. It was big fucking news. It was. It was the biggest. They met in a club she had part ownership in. Pamela asked the waitress to give the whole club a round of shots. Tommy was there. He saw her across the room. Whilst in a booth with his then model fiancé, Bobby Brown. Oh. Not the makeup. Oh. He was in lust because, as I said previously... There's no such thing as love at first sight. Um, It's fucking science, all right? Um, He was in lust, though. Uh, I'm in lust with her still. Pamela? All these years later. Yeah. Still in lust. She's so great. She is. So he had done uh, loads of ecstasy pellets and then he went over to (laughs) Pam's table and licked her face. Um, In the show on Hulu or in our town... Disney Plus, <laughs> uh, if you're interested in Disney. Amber did a great little segment on season four, episode three, so don't listen to my part. It's <laughs> fucking dark as shit, but listen to Amber's. Um, so in the show, Pamela isn't phased by what would be considered an act of bioterrorism in this day and age when he licked her face. Um, and she <laughs> then licked the face of her friend next to her and they all kind of went around the circle. Anyways, after their first meeting, Pamela was going to Cancun for work and Tommy was like, I'm going with you. And he acted like a stage five clinger slash hectic and frightening stalker. Pamela unequivocally said, do not come to Cancun. 
But guess what, Ambi? Did he go to Cancun? He did. He went to Cancun. Tommy. And then four days after their first meeting, the two married on a beach in Mexico. Pammy wore a white bikini and Tommy went shirtless with some styling shorts. I love it. And why have a gorgeous piece of jewellery when you can just get a lifelong tattooed ring on your fingy? I also love that. No. I love it. No. I mean, it was... It was perfect. I'm glad you're in because they were out because they divorced in 1998. (laughs) Tommy went to jail. More on that later. (gasps) But the couple did continue to bone after their marriage ended and reunited a few times. Yeah, they sure did. In 1989, Amber just showed me a classic pic of Pam. In 1989, Dr. Feelgood was released. Feelgood. Don't sue. And wowsy woo are, that's a Lou Clark term of phrase, but basically they smashed it. Yeah, they did. Uh, in 2002, he got together with dancer May. <laughs> Her name is M-A-Y-T-E. Mate. <laughs> wow, it is mate. But maybe it's like Mate. I don't know, Garcia. Uh, she was formerly married to Prince. Oh, wow. And he's teeny tiny butt. The band broke up. I'm kind of like chipping and changing. I'm just so kind of getting through. she married teeny tiny Prince. Yeah, and then married Big Bad Tommy. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's such a wild... I think they're still together. We'll get to that. But um, the band first broke up in 1992... They did go on a Greatest Hits tour in 1999 and also reunited in 2004. But enough about the band. Back to our main man, Tommy. He embarked on a solo career. He formed Methods of Madness. It was a yeah. rap metal uh, yeah. situation. That was like a big thing for a little while. What rap year was metal. that? Uh, that was like I think like in early two thousands. Yeah. I don't have a year actually. Like, when, oh, it's like before around the corn Limp Bizkit era. Yes, 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 yes. But like between, I think it was around two thousand and five. Yeah, that's fucking funny. Um, that's when the band's book came out. Like at the same time, dirt long title, blah 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 blah. As mentioned, um, he collaborated with a number of his rock and roll colleagues, such as Nine Inch Nails. Season three, episode eight. Um, and in 2005, Tommy was on a reality show, Tommy Lee Goes to College. Oh, my God. Where he, God. in fact, goes to college. I want to watch that. We can. It's on, I think it's on YouTube. <gasps> um, he went to the University of Nebraska, that no less. quite a rando. Yeah. One of my fave state mottos, equality before law, which I've mentioned before, love it. And I've also mentioned previously it should be equity before law, but it's, you know, a classic early reality show winner that was. So in 2008, that whirlwind of love began again and Pamela and Tommy got back together. Oh. Sorry, this is a bit choppy and changey because I always mentioned his His life was choppy and changey. Yeah. But alas, in a twist, everyone saw coming. It didn't work out. Yep. But did they... You're going to tell me, but when did the babies come? Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you that probably in the bad stuff. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Or maybe I'm not. I don't even know. I haven't read this in so long. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, we've uh, written like another episode since we wrote this. Yeah, we just haven't been able to see each other yeah. because of varying issues, problems. Um, <laughs> uh, 
but guess what, guys? Emma bought me a computer and I'm going to slowly pay her back. So we're going to record remotely. Yeah, finally. I don't know if we even told you guys that I moved. Yeah, she moved like an asshole. It's a problem, but not for me. I like visiting. Um, in 2014, our fair protagonist played with the one, the only, Smashing Pumpkins. Really? Season four, episode one. Motley Crue <laughs> also reformed that same year. He's done some DJing. He also played keyboards for the Deftones, so that's oh, cool. That is cool. Uh, he's done some television and movie roles, but who cares? No. Not me. Not you. No. Um, also in 2014, our Tommy was engaged to Sophia Tufa. No, that's his current one. Uh, Sophia is a German-Greek singer-slash-rapper. She's done some cool shit and her stage name is Sophie, S-O-F-I. Um, Amber's Googling, hence the spelling, uh, which stands for some other female interest. <laughs> oh. um, so this relationship, oh, no, lasted until 2017. Uh, Tommy is a fierce animal activist, much like his previously betrothed Pamela, which I mentioned. Uh, so let's get to his wild stage antics quickly. Quickly. But something was brought to my attention via the podcast Sex, Drugs and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That sounds fun. Tommy was drumming at a show in LA, the last of their 2015 tour. It was on New Year's Eve. Um, I've watched the video. Now, Tommy was on a roller coaster with his drum kit. Oh. Yep. Okay. This is what I'm talking about, stage antics. It's like not a metaphorical beyond. roller coaster. No, he's on a roller coaster. Uh, like it must have been custom built to go over because it like rotates and then, and then he gets stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Upside down. Yep. Uh, every roller coaster goer's worst nightmare happened to Tommy while he was performing. Whoa! He yelled, "It looks like the roller coaster is broken." Well, fuck the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, "Come on, guys, help! Come get me!" I can't believe this is happening on the last night. I knew something wasn't right when I took off. <laughs> it's so good. It's so spinal tap to me. Yeah, it's brilliant. He was eventually rescued, but it's just, I watched the whole video. He's there for a long time upside down. Well, people just being like, I don't, who's responsible for this? <laughs> yeah. Is this your problem? No, it's not my problem. <laughs> who's the roller coaster guy? Come on, guys, help. Come get me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Um, okay, now, sorry, now we get to now we get to his final relation. Uh, in 2018, on February 14th, the day of capitalism and love, Tommy proposed to his fourth and current wife, Brittany Furlan, a vine star. Is vine a thing? Not anymore, no. Um, it was like... Weren't they like, that was the original TikTok kind of. I don't know. I mean like Vine star, do I know what that means? The answer is no, clearly. Do we know? No. No, I think we weren't doing those, but they were just short videos. Okay. Um, she said some, she has said some questionable shit, but this isn't about Britney. <laughs> but she's, yeah, she said some silly things. So the pair tied the knot or shackles, or whatever, you know, exactly a year after the proposal and remain together to this very day. She's real pretty. Well, probably. He said in his book, Tommy Land, that his dream girl would be a nymphomaniac who owns a liquor store. Ugh. 
Is she? The precursor to that was he wanted no drama and someone who wasn't aware of his fame. Like, shut the fuck up. No. So I don't want to be too specific, but I want no drama, a woman who doesn't know who I am. She owns a liquor store and she's a nymphomaniac. And I marry a Vine star with a huge following. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Sorry, she's beautiful. I'm I'm stuck in a Britney furl. You're stuck in a Britney hull and you can't <laughs> get out of it. Um anyways. Sorry. I'm I'm at the I'm at the end of the biography section and I wanna know what you think of this jabroni. I wanna know now. Okay. Look. I have never liked Motley Crue. <laughs> I'm not interested in them at all. <laughs> this is one of those episodes that we're doing now, nowadays, where we don't really like the people that much that the other person is doing. No. But we don't really um, like any more men. No, we, we hate them all now. <laughs> we know the truth. And <laughs> we've anyway. run out, yeah, we said this. The we, caveat is we've run out of men that we actually like in the public eye. However, um, you know, my friends went through this phase in like probably the early to mid-2000s where they were like obsessed with glam rock. I was not interested. I was still in yeah, yeah, yeahs in the strokes land or something. Right. I was not interested. They were really into it. We were meant to see the yeah, yeah, yeahs on Sunday. Yeah, by the way, they cancelled. So yeah. that was pretty devo. A bad time, but it does mean that we did record this album, so that's good. We recorded an album? Yeah. <laughs> this uh, this episode. What is happening with my brain? Also, look out for the debut album. My, it's just islands honestly, in the stream over and over and over again. I think that I have dementia or something. No, you don't. <laughs> like I'm quite worried. Since I had COVID, I say weird shit all the time. I want to record an album with you. Maybe it's not weird. Maybe it's something we need to do. Maybe you're Maybe the tonight, psychic. You're this. Axel Psychic. Jesus Grievous. <laughs> anyway, what the hell was I even just saying? The glamour up people at school, you weren't into it. You they were into weren't at school. They were just my friends. Oh, sorry. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was grossed out by the whole vibe. Mm. And it was also the same kind of time as like um, that they were all into that, I guess, that I had read female, what was it called? Um, female misogynist pigs. Or yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book? Yep. And I was really disgusted. And I feel like the whole world was very enraptured with that whole vibe of like very low rise pants, very misogynist. Girls gone wild. Everyone's learning how to do pole dancing. Yep. And sort of saying that it's feminist, which I don't disagree with, but I also very much don't agree with. Yeah. Like a very strange time for feminism. It really was. I remember, um, sorry to bite your moment. I just, I remember like being on schoolies. We went to, schoolies is spring break for us. Like when you finish school, you go on schoolies. It's a, it's a bad, bad news bears. But we went to Byron. Most people go to Surface Paradise. It's fucked. But we went to Byron. There's a place called Cheeky Monkeys. And I remember you like dance on the tables. Yeah. Which is wild in this day and age that you're allowed to do that. 
But um, it wasn't this day and age, though, was it? I know, but then I went again and I did dance on a table oh. and I fell off and I got <gasps> kicked out and I sprained my coccyx. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but that's anyway, so dangerous. The point was, I was dancing on a table, whatever, and then they started doing a wet t shirt competition. Yeah, gross. And I was just like, what is happening <laughs> right now? Yeah. And that was. 2006, so it was right around that time, right? Yeah. The female chauvinist pig by, oh, God, I'm trying to remember her fucking name. Yeah. I, that book really affected uh, me. Me too. In a, I think an incredibly important way. Yeah. I don't know if it's, I don't I don't know how it would reread now, to be honest. No, but I think that anyone who lived through that time it would resonate with. Yes, and I just. It I, was. Shocking when you really read it, and we're just like, why are women? Why are we doing this? And it was like, I think to me, when I read that, I really felt like we needed to, and I still kind of feel like it, we need to like rebuild the system because it was kind of about like women just slotting into this system or like, yeah. you know, uh, degrading other women in a certain way to be like on the side of the, of the powerful, you yes. know, like, um, hierarchy in a business sphere. I remember that particularly. There was also, I mean, it was very interesting to think about like how women were saying I'm empowered by going in a wet T-shirt competition or whatever mm. when she's, she and the author of the book, I'm going to look her name up and I will say Levy? it. Levy? Samantha Levy. I don't know. Google it. Um, but, yeah, she's saying like, Basically, women are expressing themselves in this sort of mainstream pornographic way, mm -hmm. which is a man's sexuality. Ariel Levy. This is this, yeah. 2005. Ariel, yeah. So it's like this male misogynist sexuality that women are em embracing mm. and saying that this is my sexuality. And she's like, is it though? Yes. Is this what really, does this turn you on, being degraded? Yeah. Are you sure? Check. Check yourself. Like, are you sure? Definitely. And and that was the girls gone wild time for sure. It's fucking very interesting. It is. And that is, like, I don't know if I've really thought back to that time until right now, now that you say that. I read that in my, like, last year of high school, I think. Mm. It's really deep into, like... I mean, I've been a feminist since I was a child, like, but been a woman for a long time. It would be, a, be silly <laughs> not to be on my own side, Maya Angelou, I think. Um, <laughs> but it, it, re it really was an interesting thing to read and it really did make me think at the time, I don't want to slot into this. I don't want to transform myself. Why am I changing to fit into this narrative yeah. to adhere or like appeal to men? Yeah. What do I find sexy? Yes. Am I doing this because I'm conditioned to please this person? Exactly. And it was confronting and it was eye-opening, definitely. Like, yeah. I mean, for me, I was like 18 or 17 when I read that. So, you know, we were kind of like at different points in our life. But I remember reading that just being like, Bahoo. I wasn't that much older. I was like 21 or something when I read it. When it, I read it when it very first came out. Okay. Um, I was at uni and I went to uni as a mature age student, which was at the time 21. I think it still is, which is wild. Um, and... 
But when you're 21 and then other people have just left school, so everyone else was 18, it yeah. is kind of a bit of a gap. No, it's totally. I remember because I took one year off and my father was like, you'll never go back. And I was like, <laughs> I need a fucking break. I will. And I did. But it was like, it was very, very, very uh, acutely obvious those yeah. who had just gone straight from high school into Fuck university yeah. and those who had even, for me, just one year and gone yeah. and travelled and seen things and had experiences and been, you know, yeah. reckless. Yeah, lived out of home yeah. before. I, uh, like I met, I had lots of great friends and I, after that book, fought with them wildly. Yeah. Very, I was incredibly judgmental. I'm very sorry about that to them. But I, my mind was fucking blown. Mm. I'm, this is a very long story about why I have no thoughts on Miley Crew. <laughs> 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 or Tommy Lee specifically. Um, but, yeah, they were just always also in the media. Mm. And I was a very big fan of Pamela Anderson but mostly in a, like, private way as a bisexual person I was really attracted to her yeah and like fair enough that but that again was another part of a question for me about that um about that book and it's like am I attracted to her because other men are attracted to her Mm. like what am I attracted to yeah I could talk about this for about four hours but should we get into the bad let's stuff? Let's just get into the bad stuff. Okay, let's do it. We'll start a different podcast where we t- talk <laughs> just, about formative books and all the shit that was going on in our particular lives. I think that's a great – Jeanette Winterson, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Oh that God. was so important to me. Maybe we could do those for like a – Hey, Patreons, Patreon. do you want to hear that? Yeah, let us know. Do you want to hear the books that formed us? Yeah, Patreons, get on – the chat and, and the movies. Know. We could even do movies too, like or documentaries or something like that. <gasps> and you guys can suggest them all. Yes, do it. Okay, let's give ourselves a little bit more work. Great. All right. So it's allegation time. Allegation time. <laughs> uh, he literally takes no responsibility or accountability for anything. Like everything is someone else's fault and it's super fucking annoying. I am not surprised. No. So I watched the series Pam and Tommy. I didn't want to watch it. I remember when it was released and publicity around like the lead actress Lily James contacting Pamela Anderson for consultation and she never like received a response and Pamela not wanting the series to go ahead. And uh, so frankly I didn't want to watch it but I did. I did not watch the sex tape, though, despite the need for research. I didn't want to. I've seen it. Have you? Yeah. Okay. The show for me was very informative and very funnily enough is in this country on Disney+, Plus, which seems well. (laughs) It does. It's weird. They've got like a handful of adult yeah, it's, only shows. It's very weird that it's on Disney Plus for me. Like, it's okay, annoying. Because, I mean, for one, Tommy's dick plays a minor character in the show. <laughs> just as, like um, just like his book. Yeah. Um, 
living in an apartment, like for me, which is looked over by many other apartments, I was I was severely uncomfortable watching this scene because <laughs> it really threw me, frankly. It's like legit his dick moving around talking to him from no. his pee hole. Really? Yep. I I tried I did I tried. I I tried and succeeded not to watch it because yeah. first of all you told me not to until <laughs> we recorded this episode and second of all I don't have to think plus I shouldn't watch it because I should respect Pamela Pam but I do but I just I also really like that girl She who, was amazing who plays her. I mean, she's got prosthetics and stuff. She doesn't look anything like her. She does in the show. And I can't wait. She looks exactly like her in yeah, her it's pictures. Yeah, remarkable. Um, what about the guy who plays Tommy? Is it good? Yeah, I think his tattoos look terrible. But, I mean, like, he's a known actor who I don't know. But, he, but Did you watch The Dirt? No, I didn't watch it. Oh, oh no, I did. I did, I did. Netflix or Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Machine Gun Kelly plays it, mm. which is kind of okay, but I feel... I did watch that, sorry. That made me feel sick. Now. Thing. Anyway, I'm getting too chatty and I'm sorry. You're not. We're going to discuss what the series is centred around, and that is Pam and Tommy's sex tape. And it's a pretty fucking wild story, actually. Um, so in a nutshell... They have their well-worn romance, as previously mentioned. Then they move into Tommy's Malibu mansion, which is being renovated. In the series, Tommy has many, like, wild plans for this renovation and he's a real wank stain to the people working. <laughs> These workers pay for materials and they are meant to be compensated at the end of the job, but then Tommy gets mad and fires them and then one worker uh, who's owed, like, he's owed, like, $10,000... Uh, that that could be wrong. It's something like $10,000. <laughs> Enough to be so fucking mad about. Yeah, especially if you're a tradesperson. I mean, like, you know, that's a very skilled job. But, like, if you're a tradesperson, you have to put out all this money. Absolutely. And that's, that's a lot of money. Um, it's not an investment banker, I mean, you know. Mm. Uh, is that why Seth Rogen is him in the show? Yes. <gasps> uh, I'm going to get to that. I make a little joke about it. But the um, that worker... <laughs> who's played by your boyfriend, <laughs> Seth Rogen. Um, he goes back to get his tools, but then Tommy appears with a big loaded gun and threatens to kill him. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Hello, after Elvis. that... <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, after that, Seth, a.k.a. Rand Gautier. Mm-hmm. It's like, Go- yeah, I think it's Gautier. He returns to the mansion and steals a 226 kilogram or 500 pound safe. <laughs> Not what was in the safe. He steals the whole <laughs> fucking safe. Well, yeah, how's he going to get into it? Allegedly on his own as well. Oh, it's like... That's wild. I know. I hope he had a dolly. Yeah, I can't. Me and Ben recently got a dolly to move some furniture. It was so handy. Mm, mm, it's very good. <laughs> when I have events and, like, they bring it all in, they've always got these dollies that mm. they're... Yeah, it's very good. Um, anyway... Within said safe was a lot of stuff. There was money, there was jewellery, there was guns, and there was one particular infamous videotape. Oh, God. Spoiler alert, he tries to sell it. Yeah, spoiler alert, listen, if you don't know the story and you want to watch a show, which has been out for ages, spoiler alert, um, he tries to sell it. And also if you have 
not taken part in any pop culture <laughs> in the last um, 20 years. Yeah. He tries to sell it. You know what happens. Also, I should mention Ran never served any jail time for this, for stealing this stuff and really? for selling it, selling this tape, which was personal, obviously. Um, we're not going to get into the intricacies of the legal proceedings around this because we simply do not have time. No. And it's not about that man. No. It's about what not. a dickhead Tommy Lee is. But I did want to mention the difference between Tommy's experience of the, like, porn, sex tape, of course. being exposed, and Pamela's. And I don't need to tell any of you, they were astronomically different. Yeah. What this is, is image-based sexual abuse. The stars, in inverted commas, did not consent. In the series, Pamela's characters, uh, she has a, a, a scene where she says, people are going to think you're cool for this, all right? They'll be high-fiving you in the street. Me, I'm going to get looked at as like a slut by the whole world. And the slut shaming was rife. But you know what I say? And this is a shout out to the magnificent angel face that is Hannah, a.k.a. HVTV. (laughs) Get your fucking ass up and be a little slut. It seems like no one wants to be a little (laughs) slut these days. Anyways. We're here for sluts. We are. Cheers. Whoop, whoop. Shout out to my fellow sluts. Anyways, the point is Tommy was heralded as a hero and I'm on a one-woman quest to change this. (laughs) Sluts for life. Whilst Tommy said... Kara's going to be the slut hero we all need. I am. Cheers to me. Cheers, honey. Mm. Whilst Tommy said he was stoked about the series... Really? Yep. Pamela has never personally said anything publicly about it. But about the actual sex tape, Pamela said she was embarrassed and heartbroken. And I quote, I don't ever want our kids to see it. No. Why would anyone ever willingly release something like that? We made it for ourselves. We got home, put it in the safe. It wasn't something we discussed with anyone. It was just for fun for us. Yeah. And to be fair, the tape goes for an hour and only eight minutes is sexual. Most of it is like family home movie. Mm. Love you, Alice and Roman. <laughs> Love you. Back to your boyfriend, Seth Rogen, who is in the series. Honestly, I was mad at him because he's a massive douche canoe and he plays it so well that you like feel for him. Classic. <laughs> it's yeah. a classic Seth Rogen. Yeah. It's annoying though because can you... Can you talk to him about his unbridled appeal, please? Would you be able to give him a text or a, just a share? Like, can you just be like, can you, hey, roll it back a little bit, please? Just stop being so cute and funny. The talent in this series as well, it's like there's Nick Offerman, <gasps> Taylor Schilling. Oh, I simply shit. cannot. Like, I, but I do feel guilty, bit of a classic card. So, so, sorry, that was a, a silly... Side note, but I, I feel guilty for watching it. I didn't want to watch it. Well, I want to watch it. It was in the, in the name of research. Can you guys please tell me if I should watch it or not? Let us know. Maybe I'll put a poll <laughs> up on Instagram. I don't know how bad it is. It's probably bad to watch. It's bad to watch. I just didn't want to do it because of Pammy. But I want to. Tommy is a bit of a bananas human. 
if I haven't got that across. <laughs> um, he has a bizarre relationship with respecting women. Like sometimes you're like, yes, Tommy, spread the word of going down on women. Like your life depends on it, yeah, <laughs> which he does. Um, and then other times like when he slept with a redheaded woman, never named, of course, uh, while his bandmates watched on Ew. just to drive her Jaguar. Big shocker was he was like a he's just like a super massive womanizer and it's gross. But then mm. there's other times where you're just like, yeah, <laughs> it's very mm. annoying. Like it's quite back and forth. Well, I feel like he seems to me to be like a bit of a Peter Pan fucking yes, idiot. That's true. Sorry. That's just like um, yeah, like he's very a Peter Pan dunce. <laughs> he's very, yeah, he's very like immature. Yes. And possibly he's, well, not even possibly, he's not educated. Mm. He doesn't know. He's also really fucking violent. Oh, God. He's aggressive uh, and he has a horrendous temper and he says he never lost his temper for no reason. But in one particular incident, which I'll discuss momentarily in detail, he couldn't remember the precursor at all. Just couldn't remember what started at all. Yeah, right. One of those guys. Yeah. Uh, But before we get there, let's list some of his violent antics. Okay. In 1996, Pamela filed for divorce after a particularly grisly incident, Mm. an incident that began with Tommy was like cooking dinner. They cracked a bottle of wine. Their children were about just one and two years old at the time. Mm. So that's when they had their kids. Okay. Mid-90s. Um, some kind of conversation that really set everyone, especially Tommy, off took place. As I mentioned earlier, like Tommy couldn't actually recall what happened in the chat, but allegedly he couldn't find a pan and he became quite irate. Pamela was holding their son Dylan, who wasn't even one, um, and then he was scaring her because he was really fucking angry And she picked up the phone to call her parents to come over and uh, possibly get her the fuck out of there. And then he hung up the phone. Ah. Um, To those who haven't experienced this, we used to have landlines (laughs) and you hung them up. Uh, She tried again. He again hung up the phone. Eventually he kicked Pamela while she was holding their son Dylan. And then she phoned the police and he was charged with spousal abuse and she had a bloody hand, bruising on her neck and a ripped fingernail. Tommy pled no contest and went to prison for this and he got six months, a $5,000 fine and three months probation. Probation, sorry. That's so scary. It's yeah. also... She was holding a baby. It's also scary that he like was like, I don't know why that happened. But I've never got angry for no reason. There was a reason. I just don't remember. Yeah, he also he wasn't allowed <sighs> within like a hundred meters of Sweet Pamela, but that's just, yeah. He says he's never lost his temper for no reason, but then he has no idea, cannot remember why he kicked his wife. He knows in his gut that he had a reason. Yes. Not sure what it is. What a fucking douche. Also, I think I should note that Tommy, our dear Tommy, is six foot two, and Pamela is five. Five, yeah. six. So yeah. just, just a bit of context on the physical power time. Pamela there. and a baby. Baby. Hi. 
Schnookle Fritz has just come out. Um, Tommy and Kid Rock got into a physical <laughs> altercation at the MTV Mo- Video Music Awards. Good. Many thought it was over the fact that they both had been married to the same woman, one Pamela Anderson. But oh, it was actually, God, I forgot that. I know. <gasps> Pamela. It was actually revealed that this was due to a multi-year feud bubbling under the surface over a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> anyway, uh, in 1998, Tommy also beat the shit out of a paparazzi fella outside the Viper Room. Partially owned by the evil Johnny Depp. <laughs> uh the very unfortunate part of this is that the photographer is Jewish and horribly enough, Tommy has a fucking swastika tattoo. Oh. Um, I think it might not be the actual sw- swastika. It might be like the yes. other Hinduism, Buddhism, Jedi. everybody and knows that. Just don't. Don't do that. No. If you got one when you were young and silly... And you were trying to make some kind of point about Buddhism. Mm. Just cover it up now. Also, Tommy Lee probably doesn't know fuck all about fucking. There's no fucking way Tommy Lee. doesn't know anything about Zionism. No, he's being (laughs) antagonistic. Fuck you. He got it removed. Good. So let's talk about the fucking 14 hours and 44 minutes of my life I'm never getting back (laughs) that I spent listening to The Dirt. The book, yeah. Written by the four members of Motley Crue. Man. Goddesses give me strength. You're a saint. What a fucking chore. (laughs) I do it for you out there. (laughs) I know we're not talking about the group of people known as Motley Crue, but Tommy is involved in the band's shenanigans, a very euphemistic way to put it. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you a couple of like choice stories that I've I would also pulled say out. He's like the most famous person in Molly Crew. Absolutely. And that's probably because of the women that he's been involved in, Absolutely. I would say. Right? Yes. Yeah. For sure. So this story is told in the book. Two women go to their hotel room, as in the band's hotel room. Mm-hmm. But beforehand, one of these women is backstage. And they told her she had to sit on a bottle. So it's inside her. Oh. And then they said if she wasn't still sitting on the bottle when they finished the show, she wouldn't be able to fuck the band. Oh. Then when they return, she's still on the bottle. Oh, my God. And they took her to the hotel. Then in their hotel room, they um, are with the two women and they put toothpaste inside one of the women and then they joke. And put a toothbrush <gasps> all the way inside no. her. And then they put the receiver of a phone inside her. And here's a quote from the book. The girl sat there laughing the whole time, moaning occasionally, either because she was aroused or wanted us to think she was. Gross. Then one of them says, what are you laughing at to the young woman and asked her if her mother knows where she is. And then they say <sighs> she should call her mother because she pr- she's probably worried. It's just all so fucking gross. Kara, I'm sorry. Yet. <laughs> oh, God. The scene finishes with the narrator who is, I can't remember which of the fucking fuckboys it is, uh, saying, we didn't just lose respect for the girls that night. Oh. We lost respect for ourselves. Shut the fuck up. 
Also, oh. I wrote that while I was on a train listening to the book, just thinking about the person behind me, thinking I was a fucking loose nut bar who should be sectioned, like just like <laughs> writing. And then they put a toothpaste up <laughs> a vagina. Um, oh, wow. Wow. There's this like we're so fucked up, we're so tortured and yet we're so fucking cool rhetoric and it's so pathetic and annoying the like, whole time. Like just this, I feel like that whole like glam rock. Wait, was that like, that was like glam metal they called it. Like that whole thing was so misogynist and the whole fucking thing was about we're cool because hot women want to bone us. Mm -hmm. Is that like, is that it? I feel like that's where they derive their, that's where they got their power. (sighs) There's There's such poignant moments in the book such as some people say that time heals all wounds but I think that time is the wound. Yeah. Okay. The amount of drugs they did makes me feel sick. Like one of them, Nikki Six, if I recall correctly, ran out of veins to shoot up in and settled on a vein in his dick Whoa. to get the job done. That's heavy. Wow, that is that is commitment. It is. Also, they're like <sighs> super shit to one another. Like I would be nothing without my spectacular friends and they're just not kind. They're the antithesis of this. They're horrible to one another and I've become so much more mushy as I've got older but not at all towards men but (laughs) (laughs) with you and my beautiful work colleagues. Okay, you, you hate women and treat them terribly. Yeah. You hate your friends and treat them terribly. Yeah. What... What is left? Good are you? Yes. You write a gross song called Girls, Girls, Girls. You write a gross song that goes down and I feel good. Yeah. You suck. They just you suck yeah, so and, bad. And like there's no supporting one another. No. And I mean like obvious, I mean like that's not a hot take. What like, do they have in their life? I absolutely know. nothing. It's absolute Empty. misery and orgasms. Pathetic bullshit. Yeah, like sometimes when I think about my friends and like the people I work with, like I often actually want to cry. Like I just want to cry because I love people in my life so much and that's just not the cruise vibes at all. (laughs) This is not how these people Mm -mm. operate. No. I mean I wonder, like a lot of people become a little monstrous with a little success. And I think like an ego can be a very scary thing. But this is that on speed. And heroin and cocaine. Well, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I'm going to, sorry. Just terrible. Yeah. But I, I, we're not talking about Vince Neil, uh, but I did want to mention one of the members of the band, but I did want to mention that, He's the worst. One of, yeah, one of his bits in the book, uh, which illustrates the delusional thinking or possibly just incredibly bad writing, maybe both. <laughs> um, so Motley Crue and a band named Hanoi, Hanoi Rocks had three tour dates together 
And so before the show, they were partying for like hours and Vince, who is, so he's like the lead singer, he decides to drive what was a walkable distance to a bottle shop with the drummer from Hanoi Rocks, a man named Nicholas Razzle Dingley. They complete, they're like, yeah, they're out of their mind at this point, right? Yeah. They're fucked. So Vince drives into an oncoming car. Mm. The two people in the other car suffer severe brain damage and Razzle died. <sighs> Vince's blood alcohol reading was 0.17. And to give everyone scale here in Australia, the legal limit is 0.05, which is actually higher than many parts of like yeah. the US. Anyway. Um, you can have a few beers before you're there. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. And there's a lot of variables there, obviously. I get yeah. very frightened Yeah, personally. Just, I'll, like, have one. Just don't bother. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a five for two lady. Yeah, so there's – I was going to mention an excerpt from the book written by Vince and I quote, Now people hated me even more than they did before. The headlines in the paper calling me a murderer resurfaced, but now they were even meaner. Get a fucking grip. Yes, they're fucking mean, but someone is dead and two people have the rest of their lives completely changed. Like, where is, there's no zero accountability in that sentence. Zero. They all have zero accountability. What about me? Exactly. People they hate were so me. mean. They were meaner to me. It's so what? ridiculous. Um, <laughs> he was sentenced to 30. Does he, in the book, does he even say, no. he says nothing about, I shouldn't have done that. Even that they didn't, even, like, even the other members of the band didn't even check up on Vince after this happened, basically. Oh you know, like, they just God. have no care for one another. And, excuse me, I'm not saying, like, <sighs> what, like, that is terrible. He made a huge mistake. And wouldn't you think that your friends would... Would be like, dude, are you okay? Yes. Because no one else is going to say, hey, are you okay? No. I, it's really fucking horrible. And How so can he, you spend that much time with people? I know. If the only thing you have in common is torturing women sexually. Mm. I guess that makes sense, actually. It's sick baselines. Um, he was sentenced to 30 days in jail and 200 hours of community service for the manslaughter and paid restitution to the families of the victims via the band's liability insurance. Really? Claiming their drinking sesh prior to the accident was in fact a business meeting. Oh, my God. And it was settled for $2.6 million. So he lost nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Tommy also stated in the book... Everything was different after the accident. We became conscious of oh. our own mortality Sorry. and as a band. I Maybe I'm being judgmental, but no shit, ding dong. Mm. What the fuck? Everything changed. You became conscious mortal. of your mortality. We became mortal. Fuck off. I, horrible. Like, I don't want to bring it up again, but I'm going to. Okay. But the Disgraceland episode, I feel like Jake calls it like 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 the whole um I was gonna say shtick, but it's not a shtick. It's like the theme of the episode is basically like the band who wouldn't die. Mm. Which is <laughs> wild <laughs> because 
Can we say? I used to say that about you. I, yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm going to share something pretty funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. It's also awful and heartbreaking. But the last thing that I said to my dad, because he was very sick before he died, like constantly was like. For a long time. For 10 years was like, Amber, I'm, I'm probably going to die tomorrow. <laughs> um, he was a little over the top with that stuff, but he was very sick. But the last thing he said to me was, oh, no, the last thing I said to him was, oh, Dad, you'll be fine. Um, I'll call you tomorrow. And he was like, I don't know. And I said, Dad, you're the man who wouldn't die. <laughs> That's what me and Morgan call you. The man who wouldn't die. <laughs> and then he laughed and said goodnight. And then he fucking died. <laughs> so rude. It's so rude. He was just like, I'll fucking show you, bitch. <laughs> oh, classic Perry. The man who wouldn't die. <laughs> the man who wouldn't die. He fucking died. The band who wouldn't die, they didn't. No. So annoying. Yeah. I'll swap your Motley crew for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, the famous story of Ozzy Osbourne licking up piss and snorting up ants happened with Motley crew. Oh, really? Yeah. Licking up the piss. Ew. Um, okay, I'm almost done, but I would <laughs> like to discuss Tommy's poor behaviour with his son Brandon specifically. <gasps> Is he the one? Okay. I love the show. The hills. I'm going to talk about it. Oh, great. Go, 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 go. There was an altercation between the two. Tommy, as any good father would do, he um, and any good old white man, as we already discussed, posted on Twitter, he said, my fiancé and I were in bed when my son busted into the room and assaulted me. I asked him to leave the house and he knocked me unconscious. What? He ran away from the police that's the truth. And also, my heart is broken. <laughs> you can give your kids everything they could ever want in their entire lives <laughs> and they can still turn against you. Brandon responded saying, I'm devastated at the events of, la of the last several days and have been, oh, sorry, that have been a result of my father's alcoholism. Oh. I've worked tirelessly organising an intervention and it's incredibly upsetting that it never came to fruition. Interesting. And he said, I wanted my dad's hopeful sobriety and recovery to be a private family matter. As a result of his ac accusations on social media, I feel forced to speak out. I have and will continue to cooperate with law enforcement as needed. <laughs> I love my father and just want to see him sober, happy and healthy. That was really good acting. Thank you. Although Brandon did post pictures of his daddy knocked out on the floor. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, so he knocked him out? I think he did. Maybe. It was needed. Anyway. <laughs> he had his reasons. No, look, there's actually no reason to no. be violent. But for the sake of comedy, I guess I got to say that. So... As you mentioned, so I watched The Hills New Beginnings Ugh. for this, so but, you don't have to. Well, I did as soon <laughs> as it came out. Did you watch it, The Ridge? Yes. Like, obviously this... I want to forgive you and forget you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Justin Bobby, one of my dream boys forever. Ew, he's so gross. I hate Justin Bobby. I love him. He's hot, but I would, I would still burn him. Hopefully, while not while fucking him, but like while flirting with him, give him a lot of shit about what a dickhead he is. Mm. But that's like part of our sh- thing, you know. That's why. He that's likes how. Me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I can see it. Thank you. Sorry. Anyway, no. so obviously this child mm. was not in the original. No, he wasn't. He was very young. And Pammy comes on. She does a little cameo. Yeah, she does. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank um, Zoe, you truly magnificent, sublime human, for allowing me access to your account so that I can watch <laughs> this. Um, Brandon is 22 years old on the show and he says in one episode, I got everything I wanted. Like no one ever told me no. And that sounds great, but it's not. If anything, it slowed me down and I always resented myself for wasting a year of my life. In 21, calm down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fucking relax, believe me. It's going to get worse. You're going to waste uh, heaps more time on your phone yeah. on a Sunday being hungover. <laughs> Tommy and Brandon eventually made up, so it's all okay. <laughs> Uh, Tommy and Nikki were arrested in 1997 for beating the shit out of a security guard because he attempted to stop the band getting fans on stage. The security guard was fucking 18 years old. Oh, man. And they spat on him. Ew. Tommy went to jail for 30 days again, I believe, for this. I would have been pretty fucking mad if I was doing a show and I was like, hey, fans, get up on stage and the security guard wouldn't allow it. I'd be like, who do you think you are? I'm the talent. Yeah. I don't think I would beat them up and spit on them. I would never spit on someone. Spitting? We said it before. It's the worst thing. So gross. In this day and age? Especially now. <laughs> I've always hated it. Yeah. It's no good. I ori- I'm the original. I always hated spitting. <laughs> before COVID, I still hated it. I hated spitting before it was cool. <laughs> like Joe was like, I like kale before it was cool. <laughs> I have one last fun little fact, oh, which God. I think you'll really enjoy. Give it. Tommy calls clitorises gummy bears. <laughs> so suck on that and tell me what you think of this douche lord. Okay, um, he's foul. Yeah, he's foul. But I already knew that. Yeah. It's fine. Um... Obviously, Guns N' Roses are the superior band. Definitely. In the, in the way. It's supposed like, to be like individual people's episodes. This is not supposed to be like Gunners against Motley Crue. But no, they are individual, but also it's just like. However. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's it's just all in, entwined in their lives. I don't think that Axl Rose had anything else in his life. All of these people are empty. Empty. Vessels. Yeah. Ew. Ew. I mean, it's wild to me that they are alive, really. Yeah. Considering how little interest they have in life outside of being misogynist and listening to listening to music? No, playing music. I don't think, does Tommy Lee even like playing music? Is he just naturally gifted mm. and... Also interested in sex. It's they're just foul. Ew. 
It's so gross. Can you imagine what a what a fucking burrito rubbed cock would smell like? It's not for me. Neither. Ugh. Okay, frankly, we don't like them. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else left to say. Look, except, we've got ew. lessons. The lessons is when you shower, wash your genitals. Yeah. <laughs> That's number one. Wash your genitals. Number and two, like the, be friends with people and care about them. Yeah, do not be in a band with anyone you can't spend a lot of time with and care about and look after. Check your ego. Stop being mean. Check your ego at the door. God damn it. Have a friend for Christ's sake. Okay, listen, next week we've got stuff. We've we've got comedians. I am doing one particularly gnarled scrotum. A big one. A big Possibly boy. the biggest boy of all the bad comedian boys. He's the worst. Not even possibly it is. Oh, Come he's, on. he's fucked. Okay. Once, once again, Kara has I just got the short end. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Um, it's your turn. Mm. I'm sorry, and he sucks. He really does. But we'll tell you all about that next week. Uh, For now, we'd like you to stay safe, uh, stay kind. Have a friend. Have a friend. Have some interests outside of your career. Yes. It'll keep you grounded. (laughs) (laughs) Love, mum. Separate your whites and your colours and... Don't do that. That's ridiculous. In washing, you don't? Nothing bad will happen. It's fine. You you don't separate anything? How many... I mean, I guess you do wear a bit of white. I don't wear that No, my Yeah, no, my white loads are thin on the ground. It's like a three-week build-up. It's not okay to wear so much water to me. Let's never discuss that again. I love washing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, look, thanks for listening to our podcast and thanks for being our friend and caring for us through all these hard times. Good week for you. I do. Unlike Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee doesn't give a fuck about you. Axel Rose could give a shit. We do. We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Kara Nissen and Amber Jones with music and engineering by Morgan Jones. DJ Morgs! <laughs> Sorry, I should have laughed.